You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, trashotroncom agony. Andre Asiman is the New York Times best-selling author of Call Me By Your Name, Out of Egypt, Eight White Nights, False Papers, Alibris, and Harvard Square, and the editor of The Proust Project. His latest book is The Enigma Variations. Thank you for joining me, Andre. Good. You know, this book, the Call Me By Your Name, is such a powerful novel. It You do such a great job of bringing into language that which is really hard to talk about. Talk about... Um, crafting and orchestrating those kind of very intense emotions that are also tied with intimately and caused by and created by the physical sensations that we experience as humans? Well, um, I was always interested, first of all, I was always interested in writing in the first person, the I, and therefore my narrator is always introspective by definition. Um, because you're watching things from the point of view of one person with all the lapses and errors and mistakes that somebody makes in evaluating the situation, the people around him. Um, But I like this because it forces you to examine yourself constantly. So when you start by writing in the eye, you always, you, sorry, let me take this back, you already are, Um, focusing on the things that are happening inside of you. That was always my training. I never wrote in the third person, which means that uh, as soon as you meet someone that interests you, you're not just saying, oh, they are this, they are that. You're really going into the folds and the hidden sort of corners of your emotions. And once you do that, as a narrator and as a human being, you don't ever let go of those emotions. You keep tracking them, you chart them. Of course, there is no no grid on which you can chart these emotions, but there's a chronology of these emotions. One leads to the other, backs into the third, into the fourth, and then goes back to the second, because emotions don't have, they're not like a periodic table of one building on the other, on the other, on the other. They are sort of gnarled and twisted and tied together. And I try to do that as accurately as and as honestly as I can. And I think that's why a lot of people respond to it. You know, one of the things that just really blew me away about this book was that <clears throat> you create a, a, a fury, a tornado of emotion and, and where it leads is so real and so much like life. I'd like you to talk about orchestrating that those emotions and the journey they take you on. In a sense, this is what I might call an emotional thriller for, for you know, all the kind of plot points that uh, I just read a really good legal thriller called uh, The Plea. And uh-huh. I was thinking about the similarity between these two books because you do with emotions what, what a thriller writer will do with plot and event and, and action. Well, because, I mean, if you think about the typical plot situation, say, take your, your pirate story. The pirates arrive, they grab a woman, and they abscond on the boat with it. The lover of that woman follows them and catches up to them, but he's not made a prisoner, and so on and so forth. They're separated. They're put together again. They, they meet. They, they have to part. So it's a, 
that those are the real plots that the novel has always had from antiquity. I do something totally similar, but on a different plane, as you said. Exactly, the, em yes. the emotions themselves are a tumult and a tumble of back and forth and catch up and don't catch up. And then there are all these emotions like desire, fear, shame, obsession, uh, trouble, um, all these things. And then eventually imagine if there is speech and if after speech there is an attempt to cross that huge gulf and touch someone. Those are the real dangers, the real shoals, the real rocks of the emotional life that I try to capture. And they're not usually about uh, death or about tragedy or about any of those things. They're really about two individuals who are trying to cross over this ocean that lies between them and don't know how to do it. If they knew how to do it, it would not be difficult at all. But there's always an inhibition in every form of desire. I love your sense of of what a story and what a narrative is. It's so compelling because you use the your emotions. You understand in a language and you express this understanding in language that we feel ourselves, which is that our emotions are as real as the desk I just knocked my finger <laughs> on. And yet... We feel that when we experience them, but it's something we don't think about or perceive often. But by, as you say, writing in the first person, you take our attention to that place. Well, there's also another thing. I mean, I could be writing uh, a story of the, of the in the following manner. A meets B. A watches B, is attracted to B, takes her out on a date or takes him out on a date. They talk, they eventually touch hands, then they kiss, and then they sleep together. That is how the, the trajectory of your typical narrative goes. In my case, I think that all our emotions, everything we do when it is sort of mandated by the emotions, are contradictory. We are filled with error. I love this. that. I, just I mean, love we're, that. We're, we're, we're all mistakes. Mm -hmm. Half the things we think of are fantasies, imagination, memory. And then, of course, they're all, again, tied together and without even being neurotic, because that would be such an easy out to mm -hmm. call a character neurotic. We're not neurotic. We're just filled with, with contradiction and sort of, uh, what should I, what, how do I call them, uh, sort of counterintuitive reactions to what we feel. Um, when you think of the following scenario, what does X think of me right now as we're talking? Is X looking at me or are we not even looking at each other? Is there desire or am I assuming too much and there's absolutely nothing going on in X? Or am I trying not to think of anything happening so that I, at least I can go home and feel good about myself for having at least tried something? All these things happen at the same time. And we're not sick and we're not sort of, uh, sort of already sort of being enlisted to go to an asylum. We are all like that. Every single human being is like that. You know, uh, it, it strikes me that time is what keeps everything from happening <laughs> at the same time. And I think that you do the way you craft your narrative arc over the years is really interesting. Do you, when you wrote this book, 
uh, you called me by your name. Did mm-hmm. you know what the what the arc was? Did you know what the what the ins and outs were, or did you just experience them in prose? I had no idea. Uh, let's start with that. I had no idea I was going to write a story to begin with about two men. I had no idea this was where it was going to go. And all along, I was trying to say, okay, enough. I've done enough. Let's go back to the other book I was writing at the time. But I kept being carried away. And then when I wrote the third chapter, which was the the one that I enjoyed the most because it was so elegiac. It's the third chapter that takes place when the two men go to Rome and are simply roaming Rome. Um, I didn't want that thing to end. So I kept writing and writing and writing because I enjoyed their stay in Rome, their being together, finally outside of the house, free to do as they pleased with whomever they saw and to be themselves. And I didn't want that to stop. But I had no idea where the story was going to go. Then when I realized that, okay, I've got to stop this Roman elegy, uh, I realized the story has to come to an end and I didn't want it to end. So I had them get in touch with each other over the years, time and time and time again. You know, uh, you've had an experience that I think very few humans on this planet actually have, which is to create an amazingly perfect work of art and then have someone else create their own vision of the exact same story characters (laughs) in a completely different medium. Could you talk about just how you felt as you participated in this, as you saw it happen in, in the final product? I, I didn't really participate in it, um, mostly because I didn't feel competent to do so. And second of all, because once you have a man like James Ivory sort of writing your script, you better <laughs> shut up. Just don't even open your mouth. And then you have another person, Luca Guadagnino, who basically made one of the most stunning, most beautiful films called I Am Love about 10 years ago, and I had seen this film, and I was all agog about it, and suddenly this same man who wants to film my story, I'm going to say anything? Absolutely not. So I went along with all their decisions, unlike most writers who are always bellyaching about the changes that had to be made because of this horrible industry called Hollywood that basically (laughs) wants to make money and how ugly that is. I had absolutely no patience with that sort of thing. I let them do what they wanted. I think we've become friends, in fact, and I admire what they did. And in in one case in particular, I told the director that the ending of his film Um, where you have Timothy Chalamet staring into the fireplace. I said, your ending is better than mine in in the book. End of story. (laughs) The new book by Andre Osimhen is Enigma Variations. He's also the author of Call Me By Your Name, which is nominated for more awards than I have time to talk about. Thank (laughs) you for joining me, Andre. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, trashotron.com slash agony.